Welcome to Women and Manufacturing, where accomplished women interview accomplished women, with your host, Barbara Troutline. Welcome. I'm Dr. Barbara Troutline, Principal and Chief Catalyst at Change Catalyst, and I partner with clients to manufacture change in this age of disruption across industries and around the globe. I'm thrilled to be a host for Women in Manufacturing and to get the opportunity to interview exceptional women in STEM fields. Our conversations are mission critical to ensure all voices are heard and able to contribute to our workplaces and our world. And of course, our dialogue is of vital importance for women and girls and men and boys too to achieve success in life and work. So please do continue to engage in this conversation by following us online at womenandmfg.com and on Twitter as well. I am super thrilled today to be talking to two women from Ion Tech and Ion Coat, a steel company that I had the honor of helping start up back in the early 90s during the renaissance of American steel. It was an exciting time early in my career, as anyone who's ever been involved in a startup can attest. It was so exciting and so exhausting and such important work. The mill was and is a U.S.-Japanese joint venture and represented by the United Steelworkers. I'm joined by two amazing women who are leaders in the workforce and the union. So please join me in welcoming Libby Urban and Kim Rutowski. Libby holds a Bachelor of Science in Electronics Technology from Indiana State University. She's been working in the manufacturing industry for 30 years, starting in 1988 as a co-op in a program at Bendix Wheels and Brakes, which is part of Allied Signal, in their aircraft brake and strut division testing laboratory. Libby started working for Ion Coat in 1992 as a maintenance electrician. She's been involved with the USW for 12 years when she was first elected into office. And she's been personally involved with two contract negotiations and is preparing for her third. Libby is the chairwoman for the USW Local 9231 Women of Steel Committee. Libby's been married for 20 years and has two stepchildren and two adorable grandsons. Kim graduated from St. Mary's College in Notre Dame in 1977 with a BA in psychology. She then worked as a social worker for many years in several different roles and joined the IN companies in 1996. She now holds the position of training coordinator, which enables her to interact with both union and management and virtually all of the mill's 500-plus employees on a daily basis. Kim is also married with a daughter who just had her second granddaughter. So welcome, Kim and Libby. Thank you. Hey, thanks, Barbara. Good morning. Good morning. Well, I was wondering if you wanted to start off with sharing anything with the audience that about your background that wasn't covered in your bios that would be valuable to note for us to know today. Sure, Barbara. I'll go first. This is Libby. Uh, when I was a junior in high school, I had a female math teacher that got me interested in electronics. She had told me about this summer honors program that Indiana State University put on every year. And one of their courses was an introduction to electronics classes. So I ended up taking that and um, was really interested in it because it was uh, math, and I just love math. So my graduating high school class, I had 30, graduated with 30 students. There were 20 boys and 10 girls. So I've always felt comfortable being in the minority. So the fact that I uh, chose a degree in electronics, I was generally the only female in any kind of technical class I took. 
So that kind of prepared me for what I'm in today. Yeah, thank you. That's uh, that's that's been a theme with the women that we've been talking to being one of a minority and very few of the women in their technical field, starting as you did um, from high school. So thanks for that. How about you, Kim? Yeah, that's funny. I'm right along with what Libby was <clears throat> what Libby was saying in terms of being a minority. That um, I work primarily in in social services for the state of Indiana before I came to IN. And I've been at, I, I first started out in the mill for 12 years, and then I was fortunate enough to, to be selected for my current position for the last 10. That actually when, when I started out, I um, was kind of in a minority growing up. I played with the boys playing ball in the neighborhood, and then I went to a Catholic college, and I'm not even Catholic, and I took classes at Notre Dame University when they first allowed women to, to attend classes, and that was that was quite an experience that uh, females weren't very well received um, at first, and um, then when I transferred to St. Mary's College from Holy Cross, um, again we living in town and attending school, we were classified as townies by the other students and because we worked to put our way uh, to go through school and we're, we're kind of shunned by because we were considered locals. So, but it was it was all good and it was all a great learning experience uh, from the ground up. So. Well, neither one of you had early careers anyway that would have suggested perhaps getting into a steel mill. So what about that transition? How did each of you come to work in the steel industry? Well, I live you want to go? I uh, actually saw an ad in the newspaper that IN was hiring for mechanics and electricians. And um, I was at a point in my career at Bendix that I wasn't going to be moving anywhere. So um, I was like, why not? Um, I was dealing with milliamps and millivolts and electricians deal with amps and volts it's all the same theory so I thought well I'll give it a try and uh, I ended up passing all the requirements and they hired me. Yeah we can talk more about those requirements <laughs> because IN Tech and Code is a very unique environment as we'll be uh, as we'll be chatting about um, for a manufacturing organization in general let alone for a steel mill so um, so that is an important part of the story but um, first I'll ask Kim uh, especially coming from a psychology and social work background transitioning to a steel mill is uh, is not your typical career path. No, every, everyone kind of thought I lost my mind, to be honest, Barbara. And, um, I, I was, uh, I was wanted to change. I needed a change from what I was doing, and a friend of mine knew someone here and that heard they were hiring, and so I thought, what the heck? Um, I knew financially it would, have, it would be a great improvement compared to where I was, and so I filled out the app and came in, but didn't hear anything for about five years, and quite frankly, forgot about it. I even applied here, and since there was such a demand to get in, and I, I was eventually contacted and, and went through the, the multi-step hiring process they have here and, and was successful. And then that was in 96, and around 2005, the safety and training coordinator positions were created, and added to the manning table out here through uh, contractual language that was agreed upon by the company and uh, our union, United Steelworkers. So it was 2008 when I was selected to fill the position because of my past knowledge of um, being a trainer and developing and managed training programs and spent some time also in administration of those programs. So those skills combined with 12 years in the mill opened up this opportunity where I am today. 
Yeah, thanks. And I thought we might actually take a step back for our listeners since we both, or we three, know so much about the you know, uniqueness of INTech and Code. And we've been talking about, again, the, um, the selection process. And um, I was wondering if we could maybe just take a step back and, and talk for a minute about what, the, you know, how unique the culture is and, and why it's such a different kind of hiring process and, and just a bit about the the um, you know again the I think even the location of the mill in Indiana is is important. So anything you want to say to help the listeners just get a little bit of context up front about um, I and Tech and I and Code and the United Steelworkers partnership. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's really a, if you look at it, kind of an odd combination that we're actually first of all American and Japanese, and originally American and Japanese, and we're union. And then you throw in our unique work culture, which is a self-directed team approach to making decisions, which are instead of the traditional boss subordinate role in traditional mills, we have uh, committees, we have meetings that are, are combined union and company to make those decisions. In fact, someone made the comment one time that in the traditional mills, there are foremen that make those decisions. And here at IN, we have committees that make those decisions, which is pretty contradictory. To yeah, it's a bottom-up bottom approach as to a top-down approach. So the people on the floor are making a lot of decisions that would traditionally be made by upper management. So um, what happens in that case is, is that problems, be it um, equipment-related problems or quality problems with a product, get solved faster because the people that are actually working and on the product and, and doing the maintenance are the ones to make those calls. Yeah. yeah, perfect. And then how does that translate into the um, uniqueness of the hiring process also and the training process from both of your perspectives? Yeah, I mean, even at the very onset, the interviews are conducted by both company and union, which is very unusual. It's traditionally strictly salary, strictly HR, and there's a series of interviews that take place with with uh, there's three separate interviews and uh, traditionally two are with company most of the time one union sometimes two union and one company participate in that and we then meet after the interview process is over and and jointly discuss the candidates and um, have an opinion uh, which is pretty unusual yeah there's also aptitude testing that goes in there so there's general general aptitude testing that that when you first apply you have to take. And then if you want to be a specific into the craft, either a maintenance or electrician or an instrumentation, then you have to take those tests specific to and pass all of that before you're even interviewed. Yeah, so, so again, because to your point that so much of what people are going to be doing from the um, you know, the shop floor, the front line, whether they're an operator or a maintenance person, is going to have to be taking on a lot of traditional management roles. Um, yeah. decision-making, problem-solving, right, communication. So that hiring process is so is so vital, and that's why it can be, again, so challenging to um, even get your foot in the door. And then once you're there, um, again, of course, another reason why the position is so attractive is both it's in, um, you know, in Indiana and, uh, you know, but set apart from a lot of the um, where some of the other uh, mills are in north northwestern Indiana, and right. so it's a very attractive, right, financially, um, because folks not only get an hourly wage but share in the in the rewards in terms of your um, uh, 
your variable achievement. variable pay yes. system. Right. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll let I'll let you explain it. Go ahead. Well, we have achievement sharing plans, which is uh, there's a different matrices that that's uh, goes into that. But you know, we we get um, a quarterly check from the company that you know based on what quality is and what production is and how much uptime the lines have that. Um, you know, we're rewarded for our production in that that way. So on top of our regular salary, that that's another option for us, you know, to make a good product. Right, absolutely. And then, Kim, from your perspective, I would imagine also that another benefit is the investment that is made in people once they get in the door in terms of the, you know, I still have the honor of partnering with you on, uh, training people in the the work culture and some of the ongoing um, kind of social part of the job, and then also the technical skill enhancement. So you want to speak for a minute about those kind of benefits? Yeah, it is, and 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 even the the hiring process tends to try to select individuals that are very independent, that are decision are good decision makers, that can work independently. So they they we all have. I always talk about we all have a, a common thread that goes through us even though we're from different backgrounds and, and different experiences we all have a common thread in order to be successful here and so we, we we get that type of individual and then the the orientation process is, is pretty extensive it's about four weeks um, to involve them and educate them and obviously all the huge safety factors out here and and the different processes out here and um, so that that is very long, and then the, the the whole the whole team concept. I I start with them as soon as they enter the door, and in discussing terminology and the language of what it even means to be a self-directed team, and it's very unique. It's very hard to be in this culture because it takes a lot of work. It's easy to go to a boss and have the boss fix it, but it's much more difficult, but also so much more rewarding to fix it amongst yourselves as a team, as a group, and you, you feel that ownership. You um, you feel like you're a part of this company. And I know especially like maintenance folks, Libby can, can talk to this too, that you they have equipment assigned to them. So they don't ask permission to fix it, to hire, to, to buy the new parts, to take care of it. That's their equipment. That's their equipment. That's their ownership in, in that where they wear so many different hats out here um, but you have that reward at the end of the day, not just monetary, but you feel a part of the company and you feel a part of the decisions. And it's, it's, um, it's extremely beneficial at the, the end of the day when that happens. Best job I ever had. I work harder at this job, I think, than any other job I had because it's up to me to make sure it happens, um, not, not up to a boss. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you both for sharing that. It's, I think, important for people up front to know the unique context that you're operating in and, you know, unique for men and for women, um, a very different type of environment that most people will have had the opportunity to work in. And as you say, some of the bottom line benefits are just that, you know, that ownership that you feel and how you feel you've made a difference at the end of the day because you absolutely have. Um, So, Libby, I'd like to cycle back to you now that you wear many hats. Uh, you're a woman in manufacturing, you're a woman in maintenance, you're a woman in the union, and you're a woman in complex union management negotiation. So what can you share with us about being a woman and therefore, as you said, usually a minority in these different roles? Well, a lot of times I bring a different perspective to to these meetings. You know, most times you sit on these meetings and they're they're mostly men. And um, 
lot of times they have a sh- short-range outlook. They're more of a technical outlook. And um, when I sit in on these meetings, I'll bring a longer range, a longer focus to it. And I also bring a more personal. You know, I, I look at the, the personal side. How is this going to affect somebody? You know, how is it going to affect me? How is it going to affect other women? How will it affect the men out here? So it's it's um, definitely a unique position to sit in because most of the times I'm the only woman sitting in those meetings too. Um, I also have, you know, I deal with a lot of mansplaining, if everybody understand, knows what mansplaining <laughs> is. Um, I can say something, everybody will look at me like, yeah, okay, and then the guy right next to me will say it, and everybody's like, yeah, that's great, we love it. So, yeah, I'm I'm used to that. And one thing I've learned that helps with those kind of situations is if you can get another woman in the room with you and she can back you up, <laughs> that helps a lot. Mm-hmm. But um, I've I've also learned to just ignore preconceived ideas and conceptions and ex- expectations because, you know, they're going to think what they're going to think. But generally what I have to do is um, I have to prove myself first. And then once I do that, then they generally don't have a problem. But the other aspect is the union helps dramatically in a, in a manufacturing environment is because it comp, it brings equality to the workplace. It doesn't matter that I'm a woman working as an electrician. The pay scale is for an electrician. So be it, you know, whatever you are, man, woman, ethnic background, it doesn't matter. Um this is what the job pays. If you're qualified and you do the work, you all get the same pay. Yeah, that's an excellent point that you bring in and a unique perspective for a lot of the um, audience that, that we're listening to right now. And um, It's not just, you know, maintenance positions either. Every position out here has a pay scale. So if you're an operator, there's a pay scale. If, they're, if you're a maintenance person, there's a pay scale. And if you're a material handler, there's a pay scale. So it, it doesn't matter. The job is what the pay scale is rated on. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. And, uh, and you know, back to what you were talking about in terms of the uh, um, the perception of you as a woman or being the only woman in some of the meetings that you sit in. Um, I used to joke that, as, as you know, back from myself, started working in the in the mills. We were all young women when we started in the early 90s. And uh, sometime, sometimes I would joke that just walking into a room, I was a paradigm shift. <laughs> we yes, all talk definitely. about high and tech and coat, right, is a, is a huge paradigm shift for how so many steel mills operated in the past, and it was such a huge difference for, difference for so many people when we started up, and it, and it is today for the new people coming in. Um, and yet just being a female in that kind of environment is, uh, again, to your point, you know, it, it takes some uh, educating sometimes for other people to really um, – uh, you know, un- understand the the role and what you what you bring to the table. So, can you say anything more about what um, in any of these roles that you have, how a woman can set herself up for success and get her voice heard? Um, uh, you know, you talked already about it. Can be helpful if you have a another woman in the room with you. It can be helpful if you um, you know just are maybe, maybe patient with your male colleagues until you, you know, maybe they perceive you as a, um, you know, in a certain way. Any advice at all that you could share? I Just get as much training as you can for, for whatever your particular area is in. Uh, be assertive, definitely. And um, just have confidence in yourself. If you know you're right, state it and, and go on. If they give you any problem, you know, just keep, 
keep reasserting yourself. Um, and, and definitely, if you can get that backup support from another female, it's, that's like the number one thing you can do. Yeah. Now, good advice. And how about any landmines, landmines that women can should avoid, either in the one-on-one conversations you have or in these, um, you know, these meetings that you sit in with the union negotiations or the, the joint advisory committee meetings and the plant with union management or even in your, um, you know, working with your maintenance group, with your um, elect- electrical group, any, anything at all, landmines that, you know, to avoid. I don't, that's a tough one. <laughs> Um, I would say, you know, keep your emotions in check, you know. Yeah, I think that's that, that, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are like, oh, you're a female, you get over-emotional. You know, if you can keep your emotions in check and, and stay on the point, I think that helps a lot. You know, yeah, and that's, that's that, another great uh, – I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, Reese, no, go just, ahead. I'm sorry. I, was, I, don't want to... I was just thinking one thing um, about following through. We – Libby and I were in a conversation one time where um, someone um, higher up in the in – the, food chain here, uh, wanted some things done, wanted some tasks accomplished. And the comment to us, the women, was, I want the women to take care of this because they, they always follow through. They always get things done, and it's always done correctly. And I think that's the reputation we want to present or that's the, the, uh, the, the um, impression we want to give that we do. We take care of things. We follow through. We're organized. I think that stems from juggling a lot with home and work, and we have to accomplish all those things to get them done. And um, multitask. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's that's great. And that again is uh, another way to build, you know, that that trust. Right, is uh, demonstrated actions over time. Um, right. I think that that you know goes whether you're a man or a woman. But uh, to your point, I think especially for women and uh, with uh, men who might not be used to seeing women in certain positions. That ability to demonstrate your confidence, your assertiveness, and um, and then uh, and then also the follow through, I think, is huge. So, um, so Kim, thanks for getting your voice heard back in the room. Um, and and you, as a training coordinator, obviously, you it gives you a broad perspective of issues and opportunities across the mill, as well as across the industry and the union. Um, so, what are your observations in particular? I'm interested in hearing about the number of women in manufacturing and factors that contribute to whether women even know about the option and take advantage of its benefits. Yeah, I don't, I don't think a lot of women do know that here at the plant, we have about about 8% of our workforce are women. And when you hear of perhaps jobs in a steel mill, you have that preconceived idea that it's a male-dominated workplace, and it tends not to be very inviting for women. Um, and I don't think there's a lot of reaching out to women uh, for industrial jobs, maybe maybe in the engineering positions or maybe, but but actually working in the mill, do, uh, doing shift work, I, I don't think there's much reaching out um, with that at all. Plus, I think it's maybe not appealing either for many women to work the shift work because of trying to raise children and take care of, take care of things at home, that it's, um, the, it's, it's the unknown, so they tend to stay away from that. And we should reach out to them more, talk to them more, maybe in the high school level, and let them know um, that side of, of the business. Right, absolutely. It seemed that worked for Libby, getting the reach out in high school about the opportunity for her electronics program. So I think you're oh. absolutely right that a lot of it is you just don't know what you don't know, and it's not shared that broadly at the at the high school, let alone the middle school level. 
Um, so how about you? Because you did, again, you came into industry from uh, spending many years, your early career in social work and something very different. So what have you observed about things that, um, you know, in addition to what you just talked about in terms of following up and follow, following through that can make women transitioning into an industrial environment more or less successful? Yeah, it, it, it kind of goes along with your previous question about roadblocks or, or um, you know, minds that it's – initially it was very intimidating to me. I, I felt like a fish out of water walking into an industrial plant when I was used to an office. And um, Libby mentioned it earlier, too. I feel like I had to prove myself in everything I did. I had to show people out here I could do the job because I think some were waiting. They wait for the women to fail. And I had to do whatever I could to prove my value to them. I never asked for help, never asked for help. I never complained. If I had to do a task and it and I wasn't sure, maybe I maybe, maybe I didn't have the same strength level some of the guys did out here. I found a way. I found a way to complete that task and and doing it efficiently. And even sometimes saw some of them watching me how I did things and they changed the way they did things. So it was pretty interesting. I mean, I never I never complained. I did the job, um, and I had a really good support system at home. Um, telling me that I can do it, and um, it, it was uh, like I said earlier. Everyone else thought I lost my mind, except my husband, and uh, he was my biggest cheerleader. And um, he knew I could do it. I I just didn't see it initially, um, but yeah, just working hard and proving your value over and over and over again. Yeah, you know it's interesting that you say that about the um, uh, you didn't ask for help, right? And, of course, one of the things that you are so great about in the new employee orientation is to tell people to reach out and ask for the help that they need, right? Mm. Um, you know, again, we don't know what we don't know in that. Um, and then, you know, as Libby said also, just, the, you know, getting another woman's support in the room. Um, so I wonder if you could, either one of you or both of you, talk more about that balancing act be- between, you know, wanting to demonstrate your competence, right, um, and, you know, that, you know, contribute on par with your, the, your male and female colleagues, as well as then, you know, knowing that perhaps there's some unique challenges that women are facing in terms of how they're initially perceived and having to prove themselves with, you know, kind of balancing the doing it on your own versus the, the reaching out for help. Like, you know, when to do that, how to do it, any advice there? Well, I was thinking of a situation earlier where, I think sometimes I can speak for myself that, that some of it's self-imposed or I, I allow maybe myself to be put in situations that, that um, are, are – I'll give you an example. I, I walked in late into a meeting one time, and I was a member of that meeting to discuss whatever the issue was. And as soon as I walked in, the manager in the room immediately turned to me, I was the only female, and said, oh, Kim's here, she can take the minutes to the meeting. Which, if anyone knew me, I was a terrible minute taker. Just They sure didn't want me, but because I was female, I was automatically assigned the note taker. Well, when he made that comment, the look on my face must have told the story, because a, 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 a male union member in the room immediately said, I'll take the minutes. Mm-hmm. And did so. So I think sometimes we, I, if I would have picked up that pen and pencil, that would have 
told a huge story that I didn't want told or I didn't want to be in that light. I didn't want to be assigned that role. So sometimes not doing things is even more powerful than doing things. And I and I think doing it in a way that's not um, deceitful or mean or just more indirect, I think, gains people's respect for you. Um, and sometimes it's self-imposed that we need to stop letting that happen, that we, we do it to ourselves sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes we, we feed into the old paradigm, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that story is going to resonate with so many of the listeners. I know I had a very similar story about being asked to make photocopies at one point, right? Because I'm ah. a female in the room. So I think yeah. a lot of us have a similar story. And, you know, good for you for, you know, again, not picking up the pen, as you say, and also good for your male colleague, too. Um, to also, you know, recognize what was, what's going on, because I think that that's another skill that we need to have a lot is empathy for, you know, the guys who just don't get it, right? Um, because that manager, probably all he ever saw of women in meetings was note takers, right? And so to educate him that it's a new day and it's different roles and, um, you know, the gender doesn't, uh, um, you know, pigeonhole you into some of those kind of tasks. So I think that that was, a, you know, a really important learning experience for everyone sitting in that meeting, probably. Yeah. And I have a different perspective in that I know my limitations, physical and technical. So if I get to a point where I have a problem that I just can't solve on my own, I have no issue with going to ask my team members for help. So, you know, I I balance that aspect of, um, what I can do and what I can't do and when I need to go get the help I need. So, And, and it, it's also the other way is that a lot of my team members know I'm more technically inclined than they are because I'm younger than they are. You know, And I grew up with computers where a lot of my um, team members didn't grow up with computers. So when you come to a lot of the technical aspects of the job, they come to me a lot because I'm just more technically inclined than they are. So it goes both ways for me. Yeah, and that's yeah. wonderful because, of course, that's one of the bottom line benefits of a team-based culture like you have at Tech and Code is just that, is that no man or woman is an island and that we're all stronger together. Um, right. So, and, you know, and then with the union in the mix there, that just adds another layer to that. Um, so speaking of that, um, looking, you know, getting back to the work culture and the uniqueness, I was wondering, and you've spoken to this to some degree, but anything you want to highlight that, how the unique work culture has impacted both of you as well as other women that might be somewhat different than your male colleagues' experience with the work culture. Go ahead. You know, it gives us it gives us an equal say. Initially, they may look at us like, you know, what are you talking about? But when you sit down as a team and you start discussing issues, um, a lot of that is thrown out the window, and um, people people listen to each other and and decisions get made. So, you know, we have just as much right to make decisions about what's going on in our work areas that anyone else does. So so that, uh, I think, brings a lot to the table. Yeah, and our consensus decision-making where whoever's sitting around that table has the opportunity to give an opinion. And I don't think if, I don't think if we had that consensus model here, we wouldn't be heard all the time, that that's a great avenue to kind of open that door for us because that's part of the model. 
And um, I don't think if we had that, maybe we'd be skipped over or not given the opportunity to say what we want to say. And um, so whether they want to hear it or not, we're we're given an opportunity to, to, to say those things and to speak up. And that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, those are two very unique aspects that you have of the work culture. You know, the, the union expectations around people having equality and the work culture's expectations around people having their voices heard and consensus decision-making, I think absolutely that, um, you know, puts uh, men and, you know, I think, you know, even more so for women in a, in a different kind of footing um, in terms of getting your voice heard than a lot of folks may have seen in, in other manufacturing and organization and organizations in general. Um, so I want to highlight, move now more to talk about um, – supporting and mentoring other women, because we, we know so much about how mentoring is important both for men and women's career, but especially for women. So you both have experience in supporting and mentoring other women to be successful in the company and the union. And so maybe taking this at a higher level, what do you see that organizations, and it could be companies, could be the union or government or a school system, can do to enable women to take advantage of an industrial career? Well, I think number one is they need to bring back trade classes to schools, to, to the high schools. That's, you know, that was one of the first things that was cut when budgets got tight. You know, you got your arts and your trades that got cut major in that. So you definitely need to bring that back. And people need to quit steering women to women traditional work roles, you know. Um, anybody can do those any any role so let's you know stop steering women to be secretaries and to be teachers and to be nurses you know anybody can do that um and if if a woman takes interest in in math and science you know support them get your family to support them get your peers to support them get your teachers to support them um you know there's nothing worse than trying to go out there and do something on your own without that support system so i think that's that's a major thing right there. Another thing is um, I noticed that we had been asked help with the, YM, the YWCA in uh, South Bend here that um, they have people come in and talk careers to the women that are at the YWCA. So that's, that's an avenue. You know, That's a, a way for us to get out there in the community and let women know that, look, these are some options that are available to you that will help you out tremendously and put you in a better position in your life. Yeah, I, I agree, Libby. And with with schools, they need to add industry to their list of careers when they're talking to students and include and encourage the females. And in, in terms of government, um, I, I've been on a bandwagon for a while where I'm such a strong believer of paid maternity and paternity leave in this country. We're one of perhaps one or two other uh, countries that, are, that aren't third, third world that don't have that, that some companies, they allow unpaid time off or they allow paid time off if the woman is eligible for disability. In fact, that's how I, years ago, got my maternity leave. I qualified for disability, and that's what they called it. The pregnancy was considered a disability, so I got paid time off for that, but not actual maternity leave. You know, and we also, I, I really think strongly need to have a family medical leave. If you're off caring for a sick family member, the the least thing you need is to then have to worry also how you're going to pay your bills. So if we had 
paid family leave, that would certainly help a lot. But here, I know here we do have flexible schedules, which does help to some extent that if you need to trade a shift or or work different hours for, for uh, because of family issues going on, we have that ability to do that here. So that, that does help um, quite a bit. We have some reimbursement for child care through our union. So we're, we're a little ahead of the game here, but we, there's a long way to go. Yeah, you're definitely ahead of the game, both in your work culture as well as in your um, union contract with a lot of uh, a lot of uh, these kind of uh, programs that can help, especially women, both men and women, but especially women. And just, again, just uh, being able to paint the picture for women about the industrial careers, you say, that's very exciting about the YWCA because, again, just the, the earning potential um, is so much greater than in so many other um, uh, positions that, uh, you know, a woman might be more traditionally steered to. So, um, so all great advice. And, and what advice would you give to, you know, going back to the individual level again, a woman, a girl who might be interested in exploring a career in heavy industry, what should she consider and maybe what should she do to set her up for success? What, what advice would you give a, a woman or a young girl considering such a position? Uh, definitely research the industry you're going into. You know, it, it can be dangerous. There's a, you know, I'm an electrician. There's an inherent danger into being an electrician. Um, just any kind of heavy industry, there's always going to be that danger out there. So, you know, check the company out that you're looking at. Make sure, you know, what kind of safety records they have because you want to go home from work at the end of the day. So, um, that you know, that's, that's huge. The other thing is um, being in a, a manufacturing career, you know, Generally, the pay is very good, and it can give you uh, independence. So if anything should happen, you should be able to stand on your own two feet. Yeah, maybe Absolutely. even an internship. Yeah, it, that internship. An internship, if, if companies offer an internship, you could. that would be a way to, you know, try it if you like it type of thing. Perfect. Well, great. All right, well, I, um, we're coming towards the end of our time together, ladies, and I always think it's instructive to reflect and learn from our experiences. So what's one experience that each of you have had in your career that you learned the most from? What happened and what was the lesson? Kim, perhaps I'll start with you. Sure. Um, Probably the the most surprising was when I was new here that I was approached by one of the men in the mill and he made the comment that I took a man's job by being hired here. And I asked, what What do you mean by that? And he said that men have families to support. And I told him, I do too. So um, it, it really got me thinking where that statement came from. And I'm, I'm always wondering is maybe they're uh, a little afraid we could do the job as well as them or perhaps better than them. But they're definitely – you know, threatened in some regard with with women being in a in a role that's typically held by a man. So that was a that was a learning experience for me, Barbara. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing that we still hear some of those comments, and especially now with the amount of households that are headed by women, um, and that you know, again, yeah. not just maybe only the woman, but just again the need for dual career families, uh, you know, financially in this day and age. So it's. Uh, it is. It's, it's shocking sometimes when we hear those kind of comments. Um, how about you, Libby? What's uh, an experience that you learned the most from? What happened and what was the lesson? Well, when I initially hired for IN, um, I wasn't uh, hired right off the bat. 
I had went through the interviews and I got the I got the feeling from the managers that I shouldn't be here since I was a woman. Even though I had passed all the testing and I took all their skill specific stuff. Uh they just had that mindset that I was a woman and I didn't need to be here. I was offered a year contract to work on the computer system since I, I also um, have a minor in computer programming. And I ended up working with a group of electricians specifically. And about halfway through my term, the company decided that they needed uh, one more electrician for the group that I was working with. And all eight of those electricians got together and they went to the company, to the manager, and they said, we want you to hire her for this job. So um, I felt really good about that, that these eight men that I had been working with for like six months had the confidence in me that I knew what I was doing and um, that they stood up for me and that they told the company, look, we want you to hire her, and, and they did. Wow, that's really powerful. Well, both of you have a theme there. Both of you have a theme about, you know, again, just, you know, being told almost point blank that, you know, this isn't the place for you or why are you here as a woman? And that, you know, just again, just that confidence, that courage to challenge that and then to demonstrate your value and clearly look at the mark that each of you have made on the company and the union. So, um, you know, again, uh, I can imagine, you know, other people being in your same situation that might have made a different choice and listened to those negative voices, and you didn't, and here we are today. Yep. Yeah. It's amazing. It is. Yeah. Yeah. 20-some years later, right? Yep. 25 years for me. 22 for me, so, yeah. It's been a good ride. Hard but good. (laughs) Well, wonderful. Yeah, you do um, get to a point and you blink your eyes and say, where did that time go? (laughs) What is that gray hair and wrinkles? And I'm looking at staring back at me in the mirror. (laughs) Where did that come from? (laughs) My grandmother. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, grandmother. Uh, Yes, yes. All right, ladies. Well, as we close our show today, I would like to ask each of you, what's a key message that you would like to leave with our audience? Or asked another way, What's a challenge or action step that you would pose to our listeners today? Libby, maybe I'll start with you. Yeah, from the answers here, it looks like Kim and I are both kind of on the same page. It's don't give up. You know, don't give in to those preconceived ideas and notions that women can't do the job. Uh, Keep your head up, you know, confidence, and and just get in there and fight for what you think is right and, and do it. Yeah, absolutely, and and it's the advice I give my daughter and I'll give my granddaughters that even if you don't think you can do it, fake it. Get in there and do it. Even if you're scared to death inside, don't let it stop you from moving forward. By all means, learn from your mistakes. Don't repeat them again, and take those risks that you maybe are afraid to take, but take them. That's, That's the only way you can move forward, and even more importantly, us women need to support each other. Right. We, there's always reach back. Reach back behind you and grab the woman behind you and pull her along with you. Yep, absolutely. The only way. Well, thank you so much. This has been such an enriching conversation. And, again, having worked together for almost three decades now, it's just um thrilled to know both of you. And thank you so much for sharing everything you have and contributing to this. I love that we're ending with that. It can be scary out there 
and especially very literally when you're working in a steel mill, it can be very scary in there. Um, and then to add the interpersonal and the uh, dynamics to it. So, so thanks so much for all you do in general in life and work, and thanks so much for appearing here today. Well, thank you, Barb, for asking us. It's oh, been a great yeah. opportunity. Thank you so much. It was great. Thank you, Barbara. Yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you to our audience for joining this conversation. So in addition to these inspiring call, calls to action by Libby and Kim, please continue to stay tuned and engage with us at womenandmanufacturing.com online and also through Twitter. Till next time, take care. Thank you for listening to Women and Manufacturing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.